I'm foggy this morning, so <clears throat> I might be mailing in Wednesday here from your host. You guys are going to have to carry me. Perfect. All right. MJ and I have juice. We're ready. As usual. All right. Here we go. Let's have a good podcast. Hello, folks, and welcome to Got Your Back NHL Edition. LeBron, Rashog, and Johnny. Yes, Mystic Mike Johnson standing by with Pierre Lebrun to break down all things going on right around the quarter pole of the National Hockey League season. As always, Got Your Back NHL Editions brought to you by... Yep. What, Johnny? Did Just saying. Say I want to jump in there before we get to our... Quarter pole is actually a quarter of the way left in a horse race. We're actually the three-quarter pole. Correct. We want to get specific and accurate. The quarter pole means there's 20 yeah. games left, not 20 games gone, as you were. Oh, oh good. So actually, we've got, there, we've got there, that I, guy I don't know if it's podcast. still there now. Awesome. I, I don't know if it's still there now, but there used to be in the Canadian Press Style Guide for the National News Agency, there was a line in the style book for newspapers and, and editors across the country about that, Johnny. Quarter pole not well, to use in the first quarter in sports reference. Yeah. I obviously don't read the Canadian right. press guidelines. I just let Shoggy know that he's got it backwards. That's all I know. You know what, guys? <laughs> this is our last podcast together. You're both fired after today. I can't believe yeah. I have those guys on, on our podcast. Right in the middle of the sponsor read. Yeah. <laughs> As I was saying, got you back NHL edition brought to you by our title sponsors, Kuma Outdoor Gear. They've got a wide range of gear to fit all your outdoor needs from tents and sleeping bags, travel games, pet products, and drinkware. And they're super fired up about the old switchback heated chair. I have three of them, and they're awesome. You can preheat your chair before you go outside because it's run on Bluetooth technology. Super comfortable, super cool. We're kind of the envy of the neighborhood because we're always dragging our Kuma switchback heated chairs around from fire to fire around the neighborhood. Go to kumaoutdoorgear.com to find a retailer near you and check out all they have to offer. Kuma Outdoor Gear, experience luxury outdoors. So so just a quick PS on that great ad read there, Kuma Outdoor Gear. Yeah, okay, you good. You have three of them. You have three of them, and MJ yeah. and I have none of them. Okay, no, I just wanted the journalist here, yeah. right? I pay attention to yeah. details. Yeah, no, and that's fine. I, I believe that you have drinkware. Um, mm-hmm. at the cottage. Yep. Yeah. And, and maybe Kuma sent me those three with intentions of you each getting one, but if you continue <laughs> to behave the way, if you continue to behave the way you have so far today, you're not any closer to getting an outback, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a switchback heated chair. Like, yeah. We're in a, we're in a timeout now. Interrupting the host to correct his English in the middle of the intro and <laughs> in the ad read, Johnny, I'm not sure in, in the pantheon of podcast fouls where that rates, but that's that's going to be high there, up there. There's only one way to find out. Red card, yellow card, no card. I mean, there's yeah, only one yeah. way. You know what? We We're going to do in. an impromptu. Yeah. We're going to do an impromptu red card, yellow card. For sure we are. Uh, so, okay. So it's the, it, can I say quarter mark of the season? Is that is that better? Yeah. Yeah. First quarter. So we're in agreement on that. Uh, we'll get to chatting about a couple of things around the National Hockey League. If I were to float this thought to you, Johnny and Pierre, mm-hmm. the first quarter of the NHL season has been what? Unpredictable. Like mm. I think, and it is every year where the team, you know, you think before the season, you make your projections, 
And the teams you think are going to do well, not they all don't do well. Some teams you think they're going to do poorly, they eventually overachieve. But I think there's such a tight, muddy middle. There's like four teams at the top. There's like three teams at the bottom. And then there's 25 teams that are all tightly compressed. Um, and, and I think that's surprising. Like there hasn't been separation of the good teams from maybe the not quite as good teams that you thought. And maybe everyone's just a bit closer than we anticipated, Pierre. Yeah, I would finish that sentence by the first quarter of the season has been chaotic in Canada. I mean, it's, Ooh. you know, you wonder. Alliteration. <laughs> to add, yes. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that Canadian team will never win the cup again. Some of the some of the drama that plays out everywhere here and some idiot writes a, a, a column this week asking other front office people about Will and Nylander's next contract. There's just all this crazy stuff out there. And mm-hmm. um and you're feeling it, especially in Edmonton and Calgary, uh, a couple of weeks ago in Ottawa. And now that's calmed down. The Senators have, have uh, steadied their season for now. The Leafs have had some chaos, but now they're coming back in a good mood from Sweden. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's been crazy north of the border so far. If, uh, if that was a competition, that question, Pierre, you won. Big time. That wow. alliteration, crazy in Canada, that was that was like headline material. Actually, it was chaotic in Canada. But thanks for paying attention to what your, your co-host says. What did I wow. say? Did I say chaos? You Miss said quoted me. I mean, that's oh. twice now. That's that's two strikes on the accuracy <laughs> okay. content for Shaggy. That's why he's not a free guy. Fairness. In fairness, that's why he's not a free guy. <laughs> what did I say to you two before we pressed record? What did I say, Johnny? You said, I'm feeling a you little said bit you were foggy, foggy, I think the word you said, yeah. and that you guys should be ready to pay attention. Exactly. Something well, like that. to yeah. carry me, I think I said, pay attention to your host, I mean, Johnny. Yeah. I said, be ready to carry me. I was trying to be polite. I knew you said carry me, but I was, give, I was giving you more credit than that. That's all. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. You don't have to protect me today. I love it. Uh, really good, really good interview on today's podcast. Pierre and I had a chance to talk with uh, Vegas Golden Knights, Stanley Cup champion winning head coach. Bruce Cassidy. We'll get to that in our next segment. Uh, Johnny, you were part of that, but just maybe give us your headline on uh, on Bruce Cassidy. What comes to mind when uh, you think about him, where he's at, and what he's done? He's one of a handful, a very small handful of difference-making coaches. Respectfully to all the coaches out there, I love all my coaches. There's not that many that can quantitatively determine impact the way a team plays, the points they get, how they do. It's largely based on the roster. Like, you can change coaches. Like, we'll see it in Edmonton. Is a new coach going to make a drastic difference than the old coach? I don't know. But Cassidy is one of just a couple guys. You put him on a team. He changes the way they play. He changes the results that they get. And he's clearly one of the top couple, three coaches in the world. Yeah, it was a great interview. And, uh, Pierre, I really liked his comments about sitting back and watching the Boston Bruins last year after he'd been let go, get out to that amazing start. He was really honest about how he felt watching them win all those games. I wasn't sure if I should go there, uh, Shoggy. And then I was like, you know what? Oh, you went there. I think he's comfortable in his own skin that he's going to. And I think the podcast platform allows people to be a little more transparent and comfortable in those questions. Yeah, he basically said he was definitely paying attention to the record regular season of Boston Bruins. but. Someone got the last word. Yeah, You know what's amazing, though? I love to hear that because players, we don't often admit that either. Like, when I get traded from a team, I don't want that team to win. Like, I do not. Like, 
I want them, my friends to do well, but I don't want to be the piece that they let go before they want a Stanley Cup. Like that is not yeah. the way you want to feel. And I think it's a very human reaction. And I love to hear coaches are the same way. I got fired by them. I'm not happy they had the best regular season in the history of the game. And it might not be the worst that they happened to lose in the first round. Well, and it's going to be it's even, it's, I think it's even more personal for coaches. Sorry, Ryan, because players get traded or they, or they don't get resigned. And yeah, that hurts. A coach gets fired. Like that, right. that's another yeah. level from traded to me. That's like, yeah, you're not doing the job. You're out. You know, that's that's uh, similar to how you're going to feel when Pierre and I rocket up the charts after you've been let go from this podcast, Johnny. So you're going to have to sit back and watch us. I made a career you. out of pumping up my line mates that have them moving to the next line higher. It's okay. Nothing new to me. <laughs> Quarter pole <laughs> means it's three quarters over. How come my voice changed? I don't understand. I don't know. Can't you just do it in a regular voice? I still corrected you, but no. you could do it in a regular voice. <laughs> you did. At least you don't have balloons coming up on your screen or whatever, MJ. That yeah, was yeah, that was weird that day. Yeah. That was weird that day. Yeah. All right, let's get uh, stop in the nonsense here. Let's get to breaking some stuff down. Big shocker, guys. Uh, we're going to start with the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, my goodness. Uh, like, as we hit this mark Oof. of the season, you, you take stock. And I think if you take stock of what's going on in the league this year, I don't know that there's been a bigger surprise than this. You got two GMs that are kind of firmly on the hot seat, right? You got Ken Holland with the situation there. We'll talk about Columbus in a minute. But MJ, is there a fix? Like, if, if, and let's look specifically at Ken Holland. He, he has to do something, doesn't he? You can't, I know he changed the coach, but you have to try and shake something out of this roster too, don't you? Something. Well, yes. Clearly, and I would imagine that Ken Holland, if he is the one calling all the shots there still, um, and there is that sort of dynamic to what's going on at Edmonton, uh, is, is tracking down goaltenders. Uh, as much as we like the Pickard story, first starting a couple of years, you know, I, I don't know if he's a long-term answer. Stuart Skinner is, is struggling a little bit right now. Jack Campbell, although he had a shutout last night, I think, um, has did. really, really struggled in the minor, so I don't think you're counting on that. I think the obvious one is to go get a goalie, they're hard to find. They're clearly probably not enough of them to go around the league as it is. Can you get someone? What that? What's that going to cost? Um, that's the obvious answer. Beyond that, though, Shaggy, you look at their roster. And unless it's trading massive amounts of futures, which might not be enough anyways because you need to lose salary to bring in someone of consequence, Pierre, Edmonton's in a really – like it's easy to say that you got to go do something. they got to go do something. Okay. Mm. One – Figuring out what you want to do is one thing, and then being able to pull it off is something else entirely. And both are really, really hard for Edmonton right now. And that's why I don't know if there is a the cavalry coming around the corner at any moment because it's just a tricky environment for the GM to work in. Yeah, and listen, it's not for a lack of trying. I, I, I'm pretty comfortable in sharing that I think there are a couple of scenarios, trade scenarios that the Oilers went down the track on over the last couple of weeks that for whatever reason, then, then come through, but there, there are conversations being had right now. Um, you know, I, I heard you MJ on overdrive last night talking about the guy you would go after, for example, is UC Saros. I don't blame you for saying that because he's got another year left on his deal after this year, the predators are retooling. I put the question directly to Barry Trotz after the GM's meeting uh, last week in Toronto. And he was unequivocal MJ. He said, we're not trading him. We've told teams that. Uh, in fact, Barry Trotz had a conversation recently with with both Saros and his agent saying, come July 1st, we're throwing an extension at you. We want to sign you a year out. 
they believe he's young enough that they can retool the roster around him. And it, what it actually tells you is they don't, they're clearly not in a rebuild in their mind. They're in a quickie little, you know, they want to tweak this around O'Reilly and Saros and, and obviously OC and Forsberg. We can talk another day about, you know, whether that's going to work or not, but those are good players. So for the moment, Saros appears to be off the table. And in fact, last year I was told by, uh, by another team that uh, the Predators apparently turned down an offer that was the equivalent of, uh, asset-wise of three first-round picks for Sarah. Turn it down. Hmm. So hmm. they clearly value him and, and and don't want to move him. So it's a long way of saying that I, I for sure the Oilers need a goalie. But again, let's go back to this conversation. We just our last two cup champion goalies, and total respect for them, are Aiden Hill and, and Darcy Kemper. What does that look like when you're sure you fixed your goaltending in today's game? What does that hmm. look like? Yeah. I feel like we fall in love with a couple of guys and two months later they go off the rails. Like, I, I, I mean, I'd be the worst GM in the league, clearly, because I honestly struggled identifying what I believe is a sure, is a sure bet, except that the Oilers need better goaltending. Well, I mean, Edmonton's proof positive of that. They took a bet on Campbell. It didn't work. Like, they thought they identified and evaluated a goalie that could help them, and he wasn't a guy. Now, to be fair, I said John Gibson. I said Varlamov. I even said Nedeljkovich to begin with. Yeah. Like, scouring Shoggy for yeah. something. But even with the goaltender, Pierre brings up a really salient point. It's hard to know exactly what you're going to get with goaltenders. Shoggy, there are so many parts of the Oilers that are broken that aren't just, we need a new player. The players that are there are good enough to play better than they're playing. And that's the fix that should be top of mind, has to happen right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I don't disagree with that. When I say you need to do something, I understand it's not easy to just go find, oh, a new goalie that's going to be better in net and solve all the problems. But if you look at what's going on with this team, the the, the intensity level, the just the overall stress mm-hmm. level of this situation, Johnny, can't it do something to just shake things up a yeah. little bit? Even if it's a bit piece, even if it's nibbling yeah. around the edges, even if sure. it's going out and finding a smaller deal to put a different face in the locker room that brings a different element to games and with a different approach. Like, I guess what I'm saying is you change the coach, okay, but if the play continues to be what it is, I don't think you can sit there on your hands and say it's really hard to make trades. There's nothing I can do. Right. There have to be a, deals out there that at least allow you to change something in there. Right, but I'd only counter with this. They just changed the coach. Like, talking about a different dynamic to get a spark, they just changed the coach. Like, that's supposed to be a really – that's a lot more significant to the team than changing out a third-line winger. Like, it is. And so they haven't Mm -hmm. gotten the bump they wanted by changing uh, coaches. And so, I I guess – you're right. You're, you're trying everything at this point. If you're Edmonton, you're not. You're not going to be passive. But Pierre, if the, a new coaching staff doesn't get the desired, energetic, focused response, I would be hesitant to suggest that changing a, a depth piece, even though it would shake up the dress room, would have much of an impact either. I, I, I just think it's they've committed so far down the path with this group that it is this group that is going to have to either figure it out or sink the whole year, in which case, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Oh, my goodness. What an offseason yeah. that would be if this doesn't turn around. Um, maybe, maybe. But you mentioned at the top, uh, Shaggy, you said, you know, Ken Hall in the hot seat. Is he? 
I mean, his deal's up at the end of the year, and it was, I think, he's never come out and said this, but I think understood that it was always the plan. They would basically ride off in the sunset after this. I mean, he's been around the game a long time, and, and I don't think he has any desire to be extended as GM. Maybe mm-hmm. there could have been, or there may be an advisor thing attached there, but I, I, don't, I don't think there's a hot seat element that way with him. I think mm-hmm. for sure it's his pride as it would be with me that he, he wouldn't want the end to be a season from hell. Right. I mean, there's a legacy part to this and leaving the Oilers in, in good shape where they're a contender and so on. That's probably what would be, you know, the, 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 the pride of the, the job and all the cups he's won in Detroit. He, he wants, he wants the Oilers to be left in good shape. That, that, that would be the pressure here. Not so much. Oh boy. Am I going to be fired? Ken Holland can care less about that part. That's not even the equation. MJ, if you were the Oilers, would you have played Connor Brown in that tenth game? Right, that commits them to three point two two five million in bonuses on next year's cap. We had some discussions about like it would have been. You know, I brought this up. I don't want to say you know dirty pool, but it would have been tough, right? So I know. What, what would you have done it? So people understand he had because he was injured last year. He got a bonus laden contract that kicked in on the tenth game. We all assumed. It's a de facto salary because the team would do well. He would do well. Of course, he's playing 10 games. The Oilers then pushed that money into next year. That's how it goes with these bonuses. So he was hurt at nine games. It hasn't gone well for him. It hasn't gone well for the team. And I talked to you guys about this briefly. I'm like, you know, could they? It's such a tough move. Connor McDavid and him are buddies. Jeff Jackson and him have a relationship. Like, And it was all done in good faith that this was basically salary. Now... It wouldn't have been against the rules. It would have been unbelievably cutthroat, like unbelievably. But if you're asking me what's in the best interest of the team going forward, I'm glad he got it over. It's over with. It doesn't matter. It can't happen. He's got his money. It's probably to not play him, Shoggy, and no. say, I'm sorry. Like, it sucks. It's awful for you. We're going to have to send you to the minors. We can bury the full million dollars. You're never going to get the bonus, and it's going to be a wasted year on a comeback for you. And we're sorry, but given how the year's gone so far, it's a brutal decision we have to make. I don't know, like the personal element of it, Shoggy, even for someone as cold-hearted as me, and I am completely cold-hearted, you know this, um, it would be hard to pull off. It would be hard to execute that move. And I don't know how that resonates around the league. Edmonton already is not maybe the premier destination in the NHL. If you get that kind of reputation, would you get other players saying, well, bring me in there? I don't know. Vegas does some tough things. They get a lot of players because they are winning. I don't know, Shaggy. What I'm putting you in the GM chair. You know the same. But what would you do? What would you do? Yeah, I don't think you could do it. You, you'd basically right. be. I mean, the guy played four games last year, so now you limit him to nine games this year. So 13 NHL games over two seasons. Yeah, he plays in the American League, but like, what are you doing in this guy's career in a year where he was trying to get his NHL career back on track? So I think it would have been cutthroat. Yes, it would have saved them some money down the road, but I think that's one of those bad karma plays that'll come back and bite you. And and MJ touched on the part I was going to get to is that I hear this a lot from from GMs. It's it nothing is in a vacuum. The way you treat a player is not just about that situation, but it's about the perception of your franchise when other free agents are up and are debating between you and another team. They, they want to know the rep, you know, they're asking their agent, you know, are these people going to treat me well? That, I mean, I know people may roll their eyes at that, but Edmonton's not often top 10 on a free agent list. 
Let's just be honest. I mean, most Canadian teams aren't. Have um, you seen the River Valley? Well, I, I personally love Edmonton, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm allowed to joke. I'm from afford, here. You can't afford. You just can't afford to develop that rep as an organization. Uh, unless. To say, unless you're winning. Yeah. Like you can develop, like if you're winning yeah, cups right. and you're right there every year, guys will roll the dice a little bit more willingly than if you're not. So the Columbus Blue Jackets hire and fire a coach before the puck drops. Uh, the team has been absolutely in the tank. The record is an atrocity. The new coach has been benching players left, right, and center. And most recently, healthy scratches Patrick Line, which guys, Line did a little bit of media availability. And I, I want to ask you, is there something missing from this answer that he gives right here? It's probably, um, you know, over, over my career, probably the most um the most embarrassing thing that's been all happened to me so i'm obviously not happy about that and i think you know they they know that but you know it is what it is it's uh it's done and now, now we're back so just try to try to focus on focus on playing any intention to be better there it wasn't articulated if there is johnny like uh, that is a player yeah. that's clearly mad and is not sitting there willing to talk about how i need to be better which right talks about his headspace i guess yeah, and like part of the reason why we like Patrick Laine is he's very candid and he'll tell you what you think, good or bad or indifferent. He's not going to give you a canned answer. The answer you're supposed to give is really disappointing, really embarrassing. I have to be better. I have to make sure I never am in a position where they can do that again. I got to play better. They'll never think about scratching me again, and I will be. That's what you're supposed to say. What you're actually feeling is exactly what he said. That was embarrassing. I'm, he's pissed off. You can hear it in his voice. And uh, nothing I do about it now, so we'll just worry about going forward. Because he was—he's he, so mad and so embarrassed, he hasn't got like out of the stages of a scratch. It's like he hasn't got to the point where he's got to make amends and be like, "Okay, it's on me." Even though obviously it's on the player uh, all the time. Oh. So that's—you you didn't love it, but it's Patrick Line, and it's human, and I get why he's feeling the way he does. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. I, I would say that it's clearly not a player that's turned the page yet. <laughs> and whatever level of frustration Line has towards the organization right now in the moment, uh, I got to be careful how I say this. I will say no, right back at, I would say right back at him from the organization <laughs> right now. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, there isn't a single person at organization that regrets him being benched on Sunday. Sure. So, Okay. 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 Hang so on. So then let's take it a on. step Shoggy, further, Shoggy. Johnny. Let me yeah, put go my ahead. player hat on. Yeah. Okay. Go. So you're scratching me. I haven't played well. Is there any accountability for what's gone on in the front office in the last two years? Where, like, when do they get healthy scratched? The equivalent of, like, have they been perfect? They hired a coach. They fired before the season started. Like, at some point, there's some accountability yeah. there. Does there not have to be? If I'm Patrick Line. Without saying it out loud, this is what I'm thinking. Like, I guess I'm part of the issue. They brought me in. It hasn't worked. But, like, it's not like they put some wicked team on the ice. It's going great guns, and I'm the only weak spot. Let's be honest here. It's a disaster, and it has been from the summer on, maybe yeah. even before that. So, if I'm Patrick Liney, Pierre, Shoggy, um, a little bit more humility coming out of the front office before everyone's happy I'm getting scratched because you deserve to be scratched as well. Well, and I think I've said this before after the Babcock fiasco. I mean, uh, 
management, Yarmo Kaikalainen and 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 others there. I mean, they're already under. You know, this is his twelfth year as GM, and, and and there's a self awareness there that from ownership that this was supposed to be a year where they th- showed a lot of growth, or else. I mean, I think that that was already a pretense to this season for Columbus. So, to answer your question, I guess if things don't things don't turn around, it's going to be a self fulfilling prophecy, right? I mean, hmm. I think we know what's going to happen. I know exactly what you're saying, Johnny, and and I understand that a player might think that way, but I mean, there's a certain amount of. I, Looking too far past his own play is sure. its a mistake, right? Like the guy's not playing well enough. And there's yeah. a reason why all of this is happening. And I completely agree with you. It's been a train wreck, man. Like it has been a train wreck. But if he really is thinking that way, uh, that's a big problem, wouldn't well, you say? Well, I, I, sure. And you can't have this conversation without – Johnny Goudreau benched twice in, the, in two different third periods so far this season. Yeah. Right now, that's a disaster of a, of a July first signing from a couple of years ago. Like we have to say it out loud. I mean, I mean that is not working out right now for him. It's not working out for the organization. That could certainly change. He's a special player with a lot of talent. But right now, if you combine the way the Johnny Goudreau thing has worked out with what's happening with Liney, those are your two highest paid players. Yeah, it, it's not worked. But 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 okay. So. Yes, there, I just say there's plenty of blame to go around. It should not all be Patrick Laine's the sole issue of our problems. And I guess Patrick Laine would be feeling when I'm the scratch, right. everyone's pointing at me. And I'll only other one other point that is that is sort of in the players' corner here. They're playing him at center a lot. But he's like, are you putting him in the best spot to succeed? Like I know you need centerman. He's a good player. You play where you're told to play. But he's been a winger, an elite scoring winger for his career when he's good. Like, is he really being asked to do? You know, be put in the best spot to be successful. Also part of the conversation there. Yeah, 100% not. I mean, 100% not. When you've got a guy who's scrambling to find his own game with the pressure that he has and the contract that he has, you want to put him in the best possible position to feel okay about himself? Trying to ram him into a position that he's not used to playing while finding his game, while the pressure's on. I completely agree with that. That's more than fair. When a guy's Mm -hmm. trying to dig himself out, make them comfortable Pierre and and yeah you know I get it yeah. like they don't have the depth that they need at that position but that is on the guys upstairs that's not Patrick Laine's fault but it's become his problem and they are not alleviating him of that problem while his world is crumbling down yeah well and the last thing I'd say is that not that I think he could fix all this now but a guy that played there a long time that was a tremendous leader and just made people feel good about themselves and made the room work was Nick Foligno. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a really important leader for that organization. And now he's a mentor to Connor Bedard in Chicago. But I always think about those things when, you know, who, who's, what's that room like right now when all of this is happening? Scrambling. All right. We got to go quick hitter style for the rest of our uh, podcast for the rest of our podcast elements, we got to go quick hitters, guys, because once again, the Oilers were the black hole of the podcast content <laughs> and, uh, and gobbled up a whole pile of our time. It's been like every every podcast so far this year. Uh, there is some kind of matchup tonight in the National Hockey League. You got uh, Quinn Hughes and the Vancouver Canucks and Kale McCarr and the Colorado Avalanche. Potential for there to be a couple hundred point defensemen uh, in the National Hockey League, which would be phenomenal. Uh, what do you think? Who comes out with the most points tonight between those two blue liners, Johnny? Who's your money on, Mystic One? Kim, I think Kale McCarr is riding three 
consecutive three-point games. So I'm going with Kale McCarr. Uh, Quinn Hughes has been incredible, yeah. uh, but I'm going with Kale McCarr, Pierre. I'm going to go Quinn Hughes because this is like a, more of a football script that I'm going to try and, and, and go after here. It is Thanksgiving week after all. Um, and I think uh, I see the Canucks trailing in this game and needing to create offense and therefore having to have Quinn Hughes out there the entire time forcing things and, and generating offense in a game where the Canucks try to come back. And so I'm going to give Quinn Hughes the offensive advantage. Would be the first time the two uh, defensemen hit triple digits in the same season if it actually happens. It's been tons mm-hmm. of fun watching Quinn Hughes. What a step he's taken, man. My goodness. Yeah. As we tape this podcast, I think leading the NHL uh, in scoring, which is just phenomenal. 6.4 goals per game in the league this year. On par with last season, which ended as the highest scoring campaign in 29 years, only two other seasons in the past 30 years have had a goals per game average of 6.4 or higher. Johnny, what's with all the offense, man? Well, I mean, I think it's the skills coaches, the advent of the better sticks. I think it is the bottom six being able to play and score and not just be physical and checkers. And I think there's a, as you know all too well in Edmonton, a lack of goaltending depth around the league. Yeah, that's a big part of it. It's funny, I go back to when Drew Doughty was on the podcast here last month, uh, Ryan, and some of the things that Doughty talked about today's game and having to modernize himself and adjust himself to today's game and and some of the things that he's trying to bring more offense into his game. And I don't know that Drew Doughty's in love with everything he sees in today's game, but he also understands that it's undeniable and that you have to keep up with the Joneses. And... I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think last year on average was the highest scoring goals per game in the league in what, like 30 years or something. So, so this is where the game is at for all the reasons MJ outlined and it's here to stay. Like we're, we're the, the, the days of the fourth line grind line and the days of just sending out players over the boards to just defend are over. Like this is about Good. having a lot of players with offensive instinct, Everywhere throughout your lineup. And yes, we want, we want your players to be two-way players and be smart and understand what a, you know what the score says on the shot clock, all that. But the reality is everyone is meant to skate. Everyone is meant to force turnovers, and that's the way the game is. Darren Drager reporting on Insider Trading Tuesday. Patrick Kane. Final stages of determining where he will sign eight clubs, kind of in and around that mix. I'm going to turn you into Patrick Kane right now, Mike Johnson. You are Patrick Kane. Where should he go? Where should you go? Where are you going? What's the right spot for him to pick? Because he's got a decision to make here. So I guess my first instinct would be New York again. I don't know how well it went last year, but if he's healthier, Panarin there, Big Apple, East Coast travel, really, really good team, treats you unbelievably well. That would be my first kind of inclination. I think I'm leaning as Patrick Kane, East Coast, a little bit softer on the body, traveling, all the rest of it. There, or maybe down in sunny FLA. Could you go to Florida, find a spot there, round out a pretty good team that's playing pretty well? Uh, one of those teams stands out to me, Pierre. Yeah, and Pat Brisson, the agent for Patrick Kane, has been really tight-lipped about teams. But I will say this. I think that the my sense is that the Florida Panthers pitch has basically been – would you like to play with Alexander Barkov sure. and go mm. to the rink and flip flops and have basically almost no one bother you every day? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. 
And by the way, <laughs> um, an important part of the pitch is that Ekblad and Montour are finally back. The Florida Panthers, as we tape this, are 12-5-1 and and battling Boston for first place in the Atlantic Division. They survived their injuries to their top 4D. I don't know. What would you do if you were Patrick Kane? Yeah, they play hard, too. Like, they play, uh, they come at you hard. I watched, uh, they were, they played the Oilers the other night, and man, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they, they're playing a style of play that just, it feels like it's going to hold up, and when the playoffs start, if they're still playing that way, uh, boy, do they look good. Um, ba, 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 Willie Nylander. So, Mike, you yeah. set the AAV at about $9.7 million at the start of the season. I think I asked you that question right before the season had started. So, you had it at nine seven then. Uh, where are we at now? What's the number looking like now? So it's more. Uh, I, I think nine seven was a pretty good guesstimate back then. Uh, I think so. It's more, but I don't think it's two million dollars more, Shoggy. And I think this is the conversation about Willie. He's been incredible, one of the best players in the league. But it's been seventeen games. It's not been seventeen months. He's had forty goals once. He's never had ninety points. Yes, good in the playoffs. Yes, an incredible player. Yes, we love him. He's not a twelve and a half million dollar player. He hasn't played at that level. Right. Now, if he did what he's doing this year. For multiple years in a row, okay. Then, they, then he's that player. So now I give him like I don't know a four hundred thousand dollar bump. He's ten one. Like I, I'm not giving him eleven, eleven and a half. He's into the tens, but not much. That's how I handicap okay. it, Pierre. What do you got? Well, I think the problem with this discussion, and obviously uh, I've been in the middle of it this week, but are you asking what you think he should get, period, or what? He should get in the Leafs uniform. Those are yeah. What's he worth? Not quite the same thing, I think. Like, obviously, give me both, I mean, P. Yeah, well, I, I I think on the open market, uh, you know, he gets eleven million a year. But I think if he wants to stay a Leaf, I don't know that he can get more than ten. Like, it has to make sense. The Leafs in a year have to extend Mitch Marner. Um, they've got other holes. They need to upgrade their blue line. Um, so is this about winning a championship or just maxing out your value? And, and I think all these things are relevant in this conversation. But he wants to be a Leaf. I think he's genuine when he has said that. I don't think it's for the cameras. He's not like that. That's not his, in his DNA, it seems like. So if you want to be a Leaf and you also want to get paid in a way that is commiserate with where you're n- you now are in terms of your stature, you know, 10 feels enough to me. Um, and I know that there are other people who feel that it should be north of that, but not if you want to be a Leaf, in my mind. Problem with that conversation is he's got teammates that make more than that, and that's a bit of an issue. It's, it's hard to say would take 10 be happy when you got teammates making more than right. he does, and it's a bit of uh, internal comparison, not just around the league, makes it a harder contract to figure out, Chagi. All right, that was the breakdown brought to you by our good friends over at Kuma Outdoor Gear. MJ, great job today. We're going to let you go because we have to get to our interview with Vegas head coach Bruce Cassidy. And what interests me about Cassidy's career is that he had to climb the ladder to becoming an NHL coach not once, but twice. Started in the East Coast League, moved up to the IHL after a couple of seasons. Then that team folded on him, went back to the East Coast League, then to Grand Rapids of the American Hockey League, and then at a pretty young age got his shot as an NHL coach with the Washington Capitals. In his second season, that comes to an end, gets fired 25 games into the year. So, time to regroup, ends up an assistant coach in Chicago, then didn't have his contract renewed after a couple of seasons. 
Now it's all the way back to the Ontario Hockey League with the Kingston Frontenacs, 06 to 08, and was let go after a couple of seasons there. Then catches a real nice break, ends up with Providence in the American Hockey League as an assistant after three years, moves to the head coaching position, grinds his way up to the Boston Bruins, back in the National Hockey League again, of course, then on to the Vegas Golden Knights and now a Stanley Cup champion. He's climbed the ladder multiple times. Here is Vegas Golden Knights head coach, Bruce Cassidy. Bruce, Pierre and I were just chatting about your your head coaching journey and unique in that you, you climbed the mountain to the National Hockey League, not just once, but you ended up having to do it twice. And there were some bad breaks in there with franchises folding and there was... You know, some steps backwards, some steps forward. Uh, I just wonder when you reflect back on that journey that that you made a couple of times, you know, where the low points were and maybe what you would have told that guy as as Bruce Cassidy, the Stanley Cup champion head coach now years later. Yeah, I mean, obviously the second time through was a much bigger mountain. The first one, things happened really quick. I was I thought doing a good job in the American League, all of a sudden I'm interviewing in Washington and have the head job at a real young age. So um, I don't think I really understood the magnitude of being an NHL head coach at that age. And, um, you know, sure enough, I, I thought our first year went pretty well, to be honest with you. Second year did not. And, um, you know, you, you figure, well, okay, well, I'll go back to work, get another chance somewhere down the road to learn from your mistakes, et cetera. But it took a while. Then there was a lot going on from there. So, but you know what? I ended up hooking up with the Boston Bruins organization, go down to Providence in the American League where I had done some of my best work. And I think that's when I said, okay, get back to work and um, do your job. And, you know, maybe another opportunity will come. So that's where it started clicking when, as I got years accumulated in, in Providence, thought, well, maybe I have a chance again. Um, you never know in this business. And it worked out in Boston. And uh, here I am now in Vegas. What do you think your biggest evolution as a head coach has been, like personally? Compare the guy that's behind the bench now to the guy that started behind the bench. Well, there's a little more patience. I think that's, you know, part of becoming a parent as well, right? You get used to, you know, mm -hmm. dealing with some of those those things. And um, how to deliver your message is always an ongoing thing. I think that changes from from even from last year to this year, from two years ago. Um, those are some of the things that I think you have to evolve with and then your way of thinking with younger players, how, how can they best learn? Is it visual, uh, audio, both, um, individual team. So there's a lot of that that goes into it. And I think it's different than when I started. Players are just different. Um, the NHL lifestyle is different. Um, there's just a lot of, uh, differences from then uh, with how the players to react to certain things and, and rightfully so, you know, um, the game's evolving and coaches have to evolve too. And I feel I have. You know, the other thing too, in, in, in this story in Vegas for you, Bruce, is that you were out of work for about 47 seconds, I think, between Boston and Vegas. It was, the turnaround was unreal, <laughs> which you don't see every day. Um, what was that like for you? I mean, you go from a tough moment, obviously, well, Boston and then bang, there you go. Yeah. It, yeah, you're, you know, you're consoling your kids. You got to give them the news. And honestly, if like that same night, the phone rang, you know, um, I have a guy that represents me now, um, called me and said, listen, there's some teams inquiring. Um, so you don't have a lot of time to feel sorry for yourself. You're sort of preparing for, 
the next phase of your life. So now you're talking to your family about, well, okay, this could happen. This could happen. And you're going through the interview process and you don't really mourn the loss of that job because like I said, you're looking forward to the next one. And, and then you get your next job happened to be Vegas and it's worked out fantastic. It's a really good fit for me and my family. But there was some morning after that, right in the summer when you're packing up. And I think that's, it's tough on families, you know, like when players mm-hmm. get traded or coaches get fired, there's a, there's a behind the scenes thing that, um, that you really go through that, you know, you have to, to go through to appreciate. And we went through it and we came out the other side better. And, uh, my kids are grade eight, and nine now. So I think they'll be better for it later in life, having to move across the country and, and find some new experiences. So, but at the time it was tough, but uh, like I said, all worked out in the end, uh, great time in Boston, nothing but good things to say about, uh, my time there, but it was on to the next challenge. And, and, uh, here we are. Well, and, and it's normal too, when, when you move on to another gig that you kind of corner of your eye, keep an eye on what's still going on over there. I, I thought last year was, was so fascinating from, from your perspective. I'm sure that the Bruins have this historical regular season, but you win the cup. <laughs> I think we all know which one, which one matters more, but, but you know. I know what side I want to be on in that one. <laughs> right, exactly. But what was that like? I mean, obviously you saw a friend in Boston and they're doing what they're doing. Well, it was stressful, you know, because you're thinking I had a strong attachment. I was 15 years in their organization, so it wasn't just Boston. It was Providence as well and coached a lot of those kids as young guys. Um, and so you're attached to them, not, not only in your professional life, but your personal life. I've watched them become husbands and and uh, parents um you know my wife was close to some of the spouses over time and uh so you're rooting for them in one sense because you like them and they're all great people but you're kind of like well if they have too much success it's not gonna look good on me either right so (laughs) it's like i didn't get the job done there's always any coach in the league i think has to go through a little bit of that right like i think it's just human nature if you have feelings you're going to be uh, keeping an eye on it. So uh, that's why, we, you know, it's almost like we were trying to keep up with, you know, we were going neck and neck all year. Obviously, they're ahead of us, but we were the top team in the West. And and then you have so many people, Pierre, call me like, oh, we'll see you in June at the TD Garden. Can't wait because we still have a summer house in Cape Cod. So I got lots of friends ah. back there. And, um, you know, it, it didn't it didn't happen that way. But, you know, and you know, you're know, almost thinking, well, maybe it will. That would be a hell of a story. But uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, Boston ran into a tough Florida team and um, it didn't happen. <clears throat> it's not very often that a Stanley Cup champion would come back with arguably a chip on their shoulder. I mean, you're kind of at the top of the heap, yet it, it almost seems like your team started this season with a bit of a chip on its shoulder. And I'm not sure, you know, the prognosticators out there, I don't know if you guys felt overlooked how much attention your group paid to it, but the way you started this year, Bruce, did you sense that from your group that you were the Stanley Cup champions, not really universally picked to to necessarily to repeat? Did that resonate with your team, you think? Well, I think it does. We have a veteran group, so they, they know what's at stake, um, but they also pay attention. And I think, I think you summed it up, a little chip on our shoulder. I don't think teams really picked us last year, even though we won our division, we won the conference, we're a pretty good hockey team, pretty consistent. Uh, played through adversity, different injuries, goalies. And then again, you come back this year, you're returning basically the same roster with the exception of one player. And I don't mm. think anybody's picked us, but 
that's okay. Internally, we know what we have, but that's a bit of the Vegas mentality from day one, right? Don't forget, there's a misfit mentality here from how they be, you know, became a hockey club. They had guys with chips on their shoulders. Last year, you had a lot of different guys, uh, myself included, that had one that wanted to prove people wrong. Um, Petrangelo leaving St. Louis and Stone leaving Ottawa. You know, these guys wanted to, to, and Jack Eichel with the Buffalo situation. They're a pretty driven group. Um, and I see a lot of that this year because they may feel they're not getting the, the respect that's due to them. And I think sometimes you get judged later on over time what type of team you are. Obviously, we live in the moment, but um, we'll see how we do. And that's one of the things we actually discussed as a team that, okay, are we going to be a one and done? There has been a few like that in the last 10, 12 years. Or do you want to be a team with longevity, the Blackhawks and most recently Tampa? So that's what's driving us. I, f I feel like our guys, that's what they want. That's what their end goal is. And uh, we'll see how it turns out. But, you know, you started the season winning 11 out of 12 games, I believe it was. Um, I think you gave up 24 goals in that time. Then in the last four here, you've lost three out of four. You've given up 15. You go from being this team that just locks it down in a certain way to a team that's, you know, has given up much more than you'd like. How how frustrating is that as a coach? And what toolbar, what, you know, what tools do you reach into and grab when you're trying to fix fix that with the group now? Well, the odd part is the last six or seven games, we've been shut out twice. Um, our offensive numbers are better than they were our first 10 games. We're, we're at the top mm -hmm. of the league in chances and uh, high danger chances. and and that. But that's what they are. They're stats, right? So they're not resulting in goals right now. Or at the start of the year, they will. They were. I didn't think we were playing great at the start. I thought we did what we had to do to win. Um, there was a little bit of taken off from the end of last year. That's what you have to do in the playoffs. You're never going to be perfect, but you have to find ways to win. Um, and we were doing a lot of that. Now I think our game is a little more um, – consistent but we're not scoring so as a result uh we're chasing games and then you know you, you're when you do that you're going to give up some chances you probably wouldn't otherwise so it's going the other way as well so i think right now we're just in one of those stretches uh i'm not concerned about our group because we're generating chances um that we, we should come out of it fine but again uh we'll keep an eye on it uh, it just happens to be our time where we're going through a bit of the the puck luck phase and uh, tomorrow will be a great test for us. We're in Dallas. It's a team that, you know, should bring out the best in us. So uh, hopefully that'll be something that, you know, gets us going in the right direction. Well, in the Stars, Bruce, uh, the team that you beat to get to the Stanley Cup final out of the Western Conference final, the team that you beat in the second round was the Edmonton Oilers, where Ryan Rashog, of course, uh, makes his living in Edmonton. And <laughs> I, I remember thinking when that series was over that you guys would win the Cup at that point, that that Edmonton-Vegas matchup uh, – just felt like a moment in the playoffs, but you know, the coaching fraternity is pretty tight and, and I know you, you know, gotta be careful what you say here, but were you like a lot of other people when you see Jay Woodcroft fired a few months after a team that went toe to toe with you in the second round of the playoffs? I mean, what do you make when you see a fellow coach get fired like that? Well, it is a fraternity, right? So it's tough when that happens and, and Woody did a good job there at getting them, into the playoffs and um, seemed to find an identity for them that was working. And I mean, they lost to Colorado who wins, wins the cup and, and us that won the cup. So it wasn't like, I know a lot of people when we were there last year felt like Edmonton was the favorite and we didn't see it that way. And maybe that motivated us a little bit, but at the end of the day, they were a really good hockey club. And I felt like you, boy, that was a tough series. 
probably looking back our hardest series in terms of the emotion, uh, the physicality, uh, game planning for elite players, etc. So, um, but at the end of the day, that's the business. Sometimes I've been through it, and in order to get back in, usually someone gets let go, right? So that's a little bit how we deal with it. Like, you know, I I, I got a job in Vegas because a good coach got let go, and I got a job in Boston because a good coach in Claude Julian got let go. So I think Jay will be back in the game. Um, you know, that'll be his timeline. So I, I can't comment on what was going on. We hadn't played Edmonton this year, so I didn't really see them firsthand. You're paying attention, mm-hmm. but this time of the year, right. boy, you're worried about your own team more than anything. You're not, you're not dialed into the rest of the league other than what you hear, right? So in that regard, um, like I said, it's it's tough on them. It's, I've said this before, it's tough on families, but uh, those are the learning curves of coaching. And um, I've been through it, and, and Jay will be better off for it someday, hopefully. Um, and off he goes, and good luck to, you know, the you know, Knobloch gets an opportunity as a young guy, so it's his chance to, to take the ball and run with it, and that's kind of our business, right? <clears throat> Yeah, the wheel definitely, it keeps on spinning. I wanted to dig in a little bit on on a strategy you seem to implement with your goaltenders. So Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson alternating games eight times this season. Allmark and Swayman, uh, 39 starts each when you're back in Boston. Is it more about the goalies that you have and the personnel, or is there something about the goalie rotations that you think is just the right, smart way to go? Well, before that, Tuca was a number one in Boston. He played more. We, we kind of mapped out his starts. So I think it depends on the goaltender, first of all. Tuca was an established guy. Uh, we were never going to play him 60-some games there. We, I, I just find the game is for a goaltender is, is more physical than it's ever been with all the traffic. It's harder. You know, it's not just getting up and down, um, you know, post to post. I mean, there's people banging in India. You're out playing pucks and – there's a lot of traffic. So I think it, it's it's happened all over. But for us in Boston and now in Vegas, these are guys that have not been number ones. Like Swayman was never number one in the NHL, Hill or uh, Thompson. And Olmark in Buffalo a little bit, but he had some injuries. And, and so he never played that workload. So it was just more out of necessity of building the guy's game and see if he could get there. Um, and we'll see with our guys. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do in Boston. Obviously having lots of success. We don't want one guy sitting too long, but... At some point, the question becomes with Sean Burke, our goalie coach, do we need to groom a number one, right? And and so we mm-hmm. look at that as well. But we feel if we can use them both and you have the success you'd like to and you're planning to where you have a playoff run, the guy is fresh because people say, well, why don't you rotate in the playoffs? And it's a good question. But if you've rotated most of the year and the guy's fresh going into the playoffs, then you you can run you know run with a hot hand who should should be fresh to, to, to handle some of that. Um, and I can't even tell you that last year because we started with Brassois and Hill went in later, so he didn't get yep. the whole playoffs. So yeah. um, the, the part he did get, Hill, he was great, uh, but he didn't he didn't have to play all twenty two games for us. So I don't even have the answer to that yet, whether whether it can be fresh or not or not. But that's our plan this year. They're both going to play. Um, it would be a max sixty forty split if we can help it. Probably even closer to fifty five forty five percent. Uh, barring injury or, or poor performance or something like that. But that's the plan, and, and uh, hopefully we can stick to it. I, d- I do got to follow up quick on that because the idea that if you rotate them during the season, well, now you're in position where you know they're used to it. But 
going away from a winning goalie in the playoffs feels like something no coach is ever going to do. <laughs> this guy Wait. won the game, and I'm going to the next guy next game. Like, talk about against every instinct. Yes, yeah, so you got to have some conviction to do that because you're going to hear about it if the next guy goes in and loses, right? And um, <laughs> But I still think that it's going to happen. It is going to happen. Now, who's going to be the guy to do it? I don't know. Because it is a good plan when you think about it. Uh, and you can lose a game in the playoffs, and it's not the end of the world. I mean, people forget that. It's like, right. you know, you don't win every game in the playoffs. It's, you know, you, you go on to the next one, and, and, you know, the other guy goes back in who's had some time to sort of rest up a little. So, uh, like I said, it's going to happen for sure. It's just who's going to end up doing it first. Um, and then I wouldn't be surprised at all if it worked. I mean, why wouldn't it? It works in the regular season. Now, there's always the intangibles, right? Like maybe you're playing a team that a guy's really good against and better suited for, right? And you got to think of those things as well, because in season, you're seeing a lot of different teams, um, et cetera. It's just it's much more determined schedule um, in the playoffs in terms of who you're playing and how they play, et cetera. So that, that has to factor in too. Um, now, if your goalies are both just good, solid goaltenders, then it shouldn't matter who they play, but there'll be a few other things to consider, but I can see it happening. <clears throat> You know, it, it's a sport where I feel like whenever someone's first at trying something new, it, it, it's, you know, it's a sport that's sometimes stuck in its ways. And, you know, I've said this before, and I know people think I'm absolutely crazy, Bruce, but, you know, you've never seen a team that, that I know of purposely put 3D on the ice and only two forwards when they're protecting. You're crazy, the Pierre. Again, I, no, <laughs> You're but crazy, I know. Pierre. No, but I mean, the rules say five skaters. I mean, I, I'm just saying it. it, it, it it's amazing to me that's no, it's never happened. I mean, I know that sounds silly, but I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah, I think, it? I think the four forwards into one D has happened all over the power plays, right? And sure, I mean, I used to do it with our in the last five minutes if we're down a couple goals, I throw Davy Krejci out on defense, and um, I think there's a little bit of that more the other way um, than the three D protecting right. a lead because, but yes, I mean, it, it it's trial and error. It's just. Boy, it's a tough time to figure out that it's the wrong thing to do in the playoffs, right? Like to, to learn a mistake there. So, um, but um, we used two goalies last year in the playoffs, and we won. And now one got hurt, but the other guy was ready. So, you know what I mean? Like it didn't take one guy just dominating; it was two guys. So, uh, and it's been done in the yeah. past a little bit like that, where they've gone away from one guy. Maybe it goes from series to series too, right? Like you might see something like that as well, more than it's just a true rotation but um using two goalies in the playoffs over the course of two months um is, is definitely uh in the future hockey i believe especially the way teams are built now with their their backup isn't just a guy that's thrown in every the scheduled loss so to speak right every you know two weeks it's it just doesn't work that way very often anymore mm. well I, I, and on that note of evolution of of the game and sports science I mean, you guys are, are have done an unbelievable job out of the gates here of, of fighting that cup hangover. What, what what intel can you share of what you think you're trying to do in terms of rest versus reps and and, and keeping the guys with as much energy as possible as you keep going here? Because that's obviously some of the some of the things that teams that have won the cup have, have tried to figure out that that perfect recipe after winning a cup. Yeah, and, and it was going to be new to me, but I did talk to other coaches in the league. John Stevens on our staff has won twice in L.A. Um, Martinez, Petrangelo, there's some guys in our room, right, we can go to. 
uh, two things happened for us. We came back and our testing, like our physical fit, fitness testing was as good as it's ever been. So right away, you know, the guys took their summer seriously. Um, and I had made the determination I was going to run the exact same camp as last year in terms of how it was structured. I was just going to be more efficient with our time and get people in and out of the building. And some of it is just teaching was a lot more needed, necessary last year, right? I was new, different way of playing for the guys. So that's what we decided we'd do. We ran similar uh, exhibition game sort of amount of time the guys would play and, and just try to pick up where we left off last year. It was a bit, whether that's right or wrong. Um, and it worked for us at the start. And we'll see if, you know, where, where our, does our malaise come a little later in the year or will it come at all? Or are we going through it now? There's, you know, there's some of that stuff. But the other thing I truly believe in, in my time in the NHL is I hate, I don't believe you should, you, you, you can afford to chase the standings early in the year. I think it just affects you mentally. Teams that are behind and Edmonton is probably going to go through that, right? Like it's tough. And it costs, a, like we were talking about early Jay's job, but it's hard when you're behind early on. So we wanted to make sure we got out yeah. of the gates well. That was a point of emphasis. Um, get going and get our standard up where it needs to be. So that was something we talked about. And then the other thing we talked about internally as a group is, okay, the Vegas Golden Knights, do you want to be a one and done uh, Stanley Cup champion like a few teams have been over the last 12 to 15 years? Or do you want to be like the Chicago Blackhawks, right? Where you're a legacy team, you know, when they won their three in five years or whatever. And, and Tampa recently going to the cup three years in a row. And I think we have the age group and the salary cap situation for us allows allow us to do that. And so that was a bit of our messaging. And that's a big picture thing. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think it's helped our guys get going here. Okay, let's not let it slip um, and enjoy what we did last year, but keep the standard high. So that's how we addressed our guys. That's what we talked about. And so far, it's it's got us in the right direction. What do you? Uh, what can you tell us about Braden McNabb this season? What do we need to know? I mean, plus thirteen among the league leaders, way far ahead on your team. Everybody knows he's a good defenseman, but what, what's going on this season with him? Well, him and Theo have been great for us. Shea Theodore, they've been a partnership for a while now. And don't forget, we played our our full lineup for the first time last night and uh, or two nights ago in uh, Pittsburgh. So we've had defensemen out and they've been sort of the guys we've leaned on both Petro and Marty Martinez, who are a pair of missed time. Hag just came back. White cloud just came back. They've missed time. Um, so they were carrying the load for us. And I think Theo would be up yeah. there too, but he's been on the ice for those empty net goals recently. So it's just been a strong pair. Uh, I, I can't say he's doing one thing exceptionally well, Ryan, he's just a steady guy that works hard to keep the puck out of the net. And Theo's a great transporter of the puck that gets it. Um, so they have a great partnership on, you know, how they share responsibility in the D zone. Um, they're, Brayton's a, a sneaky good offensive player too. He's, he's got good, if you look back at his numbers in junior, they were excellent. And um, he's got really good hockey sense and makes good plays. So um, he thinks the game real well. Like he's just a good, solid, probably one of the more underrated players I've ever been around now that I've been out West here for a little bit. Cause when you get out East, you don't see as many of these guys, right. That aren't big names. So, uh, mm -hmm. he's a good, solid all around player. 72 points with the Kootenai ice in 10, 11. So yeah, pretty impressive numbers. Uh, Bruce, appreciate your time. Before we let you go, the name of the podcast is got your back. Cause we love asking our guests, uh, for that time in their life where, Ah, somebody stepped up for them and had their back. So as we present that to you, 
uh, what story pops into Bruce Cassidy's head? Well, there was a time when I was about, I grew up in Ottawa, so, and I went to a French school until um, I was in grade six. Uh, my mother was born in Montreal, so me and my brother, I only have one brother, he's a year and a half older than me, and his name's Stephen. It happens to be his birthday today, ironically, that you asked that. Um, um. But I was on my way to school, and I was a younger kid. I had done uh, two grades in the same year, so most of the kids in my class were older than me, and this kid was picking on me, probably in like grade four, and I was a little nervous, right? And out of nowhere came my brother. I thought, okay, this is going to be my first fight uh, on Coldry Avenue. And uh, I don't know how I'm going to do because, uh, you know, <laughs> this guy was, <laughs> he just seemed scarier than me, as I recall. And my brother came out of nowhere and just flattened this guy and said, have you ever, you know, go near him again? And uh, I, I couldn't have been more appreciative at the time. It's because me and my brother were a year and a half old and we had a lot of battles, right? So it's the last guy you think is going to come in there because, yeah. you know, you are at that age. You're always, you know, playing sports together, going at each other. So I was real appreciative of, uh, of my brother in that situation uh, as a young guy. And I never forgot it. it it's probably been, geez, it must have been almost 50 years ago. And I was, I was glad he was there. Wow. That's fantastic. I have brothers too, and I've got a younger brother. And I, if anybody's going to beat the hell out of my younger brother, it's bloody well going to be me and nobody <laughs> well, that's else. That's probably what he was thinking. Brother mentality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh, love it. I'll, I'll, love I'll, it. Also, a little, uh, a little key intel there. I, I didn't know that uh, Bruce could speak a little French. I mean, that, that throws your hat in, and 10 years from now, maybe if the Habs are looking for a head coach, they, they, you have to speak French in Montreal. So we'll have to keep, we'll have to keep that in mind, you know. That's, uh... Oui, je parle français assez bien, but I forget a lot of it. Uh, but I, I, if I if I start speaking it with people, it'll come back to me. But it's been a few years. But, yep, I got a little bit in the toolbox there. You know? Yeah, damn, Bruce. That's awesome. Merci beaucoup. Uh, Bruce, thank you so much for taking the time. Best of luck the rest of the way, and uh, we'll check in again sometime. All right. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Have a good day. All right. That'll wrap up the podcast. Big thanks to the Vegas Golden Knights and to Bruce Cassidy for taking some time to chat with us. Big thanks to you for all of your downloads and subscriptions. Thanks to our title sponsor as well, Kuma Outdoor Gear. We'll chat with you again next week on Got Your Back NHL Edition. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>